for this afternoon. And I would like for you all to make welcome our Al-Anon speaker, Betty from Monrovia. Hi, everyone. My name is Betty, and I'm a member of Al-Anon. Hi, Betty. And I have came from an alcoholic family, and I'm married to a sober alcoholic today. I want to thank again, Norm thanked us, thanked last night, and I'd like to do it again. I'd like to thank the committee for asking us to come here. I'd like to thank Barney and Mary Beth and all the rest of the committee. Norm and I love to come here to the Midwest. Is this the Midwest? Okay. Anyway, Kansas, Missouri, this area, it's really neat. You have the best A.A. Al-Anon program around, I think, or one of the best. We have it pretty good out in Los Angeles, too. But you always make us feel so welcome, and we share so much together. And it means a lot to me, too, because this area was the first place we came to after I finally surrendered and joined the program of Al-Anon and um, started getting some of the benefits instead of just being part of a thing that, you know, limiting myself. Norm talked about it in his talk, and I used to hear it for years and years and years and never knew what he was talking about. But he says you limit yourself to the friendships you can have yourself. And I did for a long, long time. And I want to say I uh, i used to say when I first came in now, and I oh, my God, why did I wait so long? You know, but now I know that it was supposed to be that way. That's just the way it is. And I'm happy and content with the way I've got it today. I suppose the only way to do it is the way I always do it and what I was like, what happened, and what I'm trying to be like now. And so I'll start out with my story. I told you that I came from an alcoholic home, and I did. Uh, My parents were in their late 30s. My mother was in her late 30s. My father was in his early 40s when they had me. And they had had two sons before, and I came into the family, the only daughter, and my father was drunk on the night I was born. I always heard about it, and my mother always said she paid for me. Um, now, those of you who have children, I'm sure recognize the fact that some children are affected, affected by the home of alcoholism, and some are not. Some react to the alcoholic, and some do not. And you're looking at one who did. Uh, I reacted to my father's drinking from the time I was a little tiny girl. I knew when he drove in the driveway whether he was drinking or whether he was sober. And that was the way I ate my dinner. If If he was sober, I ate my dinner. If he didn't, I didn't eat my dinner because I had stomach trouble. I would get this angry churning in my stomach. And I had anger towards this man when he drank. And I loved him dearly when he was sober. And that was my relationship, and that was how I grew up. I identify very strongly with the teenagers, with the living with an alcoholic, a practicing alcoholic, because I remember full well what it was like. You didn't know whether to ask friends over because you didn't know whether Daddy was going to be sober or not. And you would uh, go somewhere in the car, and he would stop at the corner 
Mother always called it a corner. Wherever we lived, there was always a corner. That was the local bar. And you would sit in the car while he was in there drinking, waiting for him to come out. Sometimes my mother, who didn't drive, and my younger, my brother that was just a little bit older than I, and I would sit in the car. And I used to think then, you know, if I could only drive, I would drive us home. I was always going to take care of everything anyway. That was the way I was. And then as I grew up into my teen years, um, I had some very strong confrontations with my father. Now, my father never struck my mother. He never battled with my brothers, but he and I battled royal. And he hit me. Terrible. I was a banny rooster screaming at him, or hen, I should say. And um, I just could not cope with his drinking, and I was scared to death that I was going to be like him. I was frightened of alcoholism. I have a very bad attitude towards booze. I learned at a very young age what the alcoholic does. I learned, we, mother of a, Never had any objections to booze in the house, but we never had booze in the house. And the reason we never had booze in the house is because whenever any booze was brought in, Dad drank it up. You know, if he brought a bottle home, it went. If he brought a case of beer home, he drank it till it was all gone. That's the way Daddy drank. That's the way I was raised to see people drink. So we were not teetotalers, but we never had booze in the house because whatever was in there, Daddy drank it up. Mother kept pretty close tabs on him, and he did not go down the drain too far because he was afraid of her, I guess, and he, she kept a close, tight rein on the, the, the pocketbook. And so when I was in my late teens, I remember we had a terrible confrontation because my brother was killed in the war uh, when I was about 14, and I learned then that uh, the alcoholic reacts stronger than anybody else and suffers, this was a resentment of mine, worse than anybody else. Um, We had lost, I had lost a brother, my mother had lost a son, but Daddy had lost. And so Daddy got drunk. This was his way to react to things. And he didn't cope too well for that period of time. I was about 18, and uh, he got, he was getting really bad. It was the worst I've ever, one of the worst times I'd ever seen him. And he and I had some terrible battles. And finally, Mother said, perhaps I had better move out for a while. And I did. And Daddy used to come and plead with me to come home because he loved me very much. And I loved him. And I told him when he got sober, I would come back. Well, he finally sobered up, and I moved back home. But this confrontation, Mother was afraid that I would get hurt, but she never fought Dad. In fact, she even used to, and this used to bother me, she laughed when he was, you know, when he was funny sometimes when he was drinking. But I got news for you, I never thought he was funny. I thought it was terrible, and he was a jerk. Well, I swore I would never drink, and of course I did try it, and uh, didn't do too well at it. I had two problems when I drank. I got sick, and I had terrible remorses the next day. Just awful. In fact, Norm said to me one time, he said, you're worse than I ever was as far as remorseful. I really did. I thought I was just awful. So about the time I was 20 years old, 
I had gotten a scholarship to a school and I was going to become this famous person. And about this time, a man came into my life, very darling man, very handsome, lots of personality, real super guy. And we had a lot in common, uh, it seemed to be. We got along real well, we liked to do the same, same things, and, you know, we talked easily to each other. And one of the things we did the first night we went out was he, had, he told me, he said, I want to tell you something before somebody else does because I want you to understand what happened. He said, I just got out of jail. Now, you know, I should have known then. But, you know, my reaction was, oh, he's honest. And I liked honesty. I was very, I really did. I mean, this was a real thing with me. And I thought he was so honest, and he probably was a victim of unusual circumstances. And I thought that was okay. And I said, I understand. And, uh, oh, I met him in September, and by November, we were engaged. And by January, I was trying to get out of the engagement. We were to be married in August. And I discovered something about this man. He didn't drink very well. We went to parties, and he became an ass, a real ass. And I would have to find other ways to get home. He was a real jerk. And, uh, but he had this marvelous way about him. <clears throat> he would always tell me that it was going to be different. And uh, it was going to be better and that he was really sorry. And so I would accept it. And I don't know how many times I gave him back his ring, but it was a lot of times. And this was in July when it got really bad. It was my birthday, and he didn't show up for it. And when he did, oh, my God. And so I gave him back his ring for good. The announcements were out. My mother was making the wedding dress. It was almost finished, and I said, forget it. I am not marrying this man. Well, he had an ace in the hole. We'd been the tear route, you know, on his knees and the tears and the whole bit. The third act, they all should be actors, I think. And, um, uh, but this didn't do it with me this time, but he had an ace in the hole. <clears throat> His mother came to me. And she said, but Betty, what will become of him if you don't marry him? <laughs> so on August the 16th, I met my father to walk down the aisle, and his breath knocked me over, and I met my husband at the altar, and his breath knocked me over. (laughs) And we started off on our honeymoon, and we ended up in Tahoe, and it so happens that one of the guys that owns the hotel up there was a friend of Norm's. He is since, by the way, drinking himself to death, poor soul. But anyway, uh, he ended up in the bar the whole time with the gang, and um, I was trying to find him to get enough money to come home. And he was hiding behind trees. And it was a marvelous time. <laughs> you know, I really hate to tell you this story because I was such a dummy, you know. And I hate to admit that, you know, I should have ran from the time I first met him. But I didn't. So um, that one night, the bartender had taken pity on me. And he said, Betty, for every shot you drink 
I'll buy. Norm was down at the end of the bar having a ball, and I'm sitting in my usual place, you know. So I started drinking shot for shot, and the next time Norm saw me, I was down at the other end of the bar singing and having a great time. He immediately took me back to the room. <clears throat> the next morning, I had a ridge right here from the toilet seat. <laughs> and that ended that for another year. You know, that was my drinking. Well, we came back from our honeymoon, and we started in the usual routine of something we continued to do for the next eight years, and that was start over. We are going to start over. And so Norm went off to work, and I did too, and then I came home and I fixed him a nice dinner and put on my little apron and went running out, as all brides do, I'd read about it or seen it in the movies, run out to greet your husband in the car. And he fell in my arms, so I never ran out to greet him again. I still don't. And... um, And um, that went on. Uh, He wanted children, and I didn't. And so we had them. (laughs) I have to tell you the honest side of this program, see. And uh, things got worse, not better, as you all know. And Norman was not a quiet drunk. He was not like my father. He was a nasty drunk when he came home. And we had battles royal. Of course, I've told you what I was like before I ever got into this marriage. I wasn't very understanding about the drunk. And so we had battles royal, I'll tell you. And after our first baby was born, we were up at his folks' house, and my baby was at my parents' home. And uh, he was in a terrible state. He was very bad, and he was very wild. And uh, his folk, he was having a fight with his dad, a real violent fight, and his mother called the doctor. And the doctor came up, and they finally gave him a shot and knocked him out. And then this doctor turned around and looked at poor little me. I am skin and bone. I am so skinny, it's, you know, really bad. And I look like hell. And he said, I'm not worried about anybody but her. And I thought, oh, God, somebody noticed. So he says, I want to see her husband, Norm and Betty, in my office. He told his parents that on Monday morning. So we went. And I thought, oh, you know, you Al-Anons, it's going to change. Somebody's going to save us. It's going to be better. Everything's going to be okay. Well, we went to the doctor's office, and I kid you not, we were there an hour. And when I left, I got up and I apologized to both Norm and the doctor for causing Norm's drinking problem. (sighs) I don't know how, but so help me God, that's the truth. So we went on from there, and we had some more kids, and uh, things didn't get any better. We went to see a show called Cheaper by the Dozen, I remember, and we had the dog, and we had the kids, and he said, that's it, Betty, if you have another child, that's what we need. We need another kid. I said, okay. Three days later, I was pregnant and Norm was drunk. <laughs> Didn't work. Nothing worked. And I was becoming a very, very sick person. I was becoming, I was sick when I walked into that marriage. Very sick. I had a very poor attitude about myself. I didn't like Betty. 
I never have liked Betty for years and years and years and years. I never liked myself. And sometimes I wondered if that's why I married Norm, because he was so bad I could look good. You know, when they come home, you know, the, the, the floors don't get mopped and the dishes don't get done and the things don't get cleaned up. Well, you can always say it's their fault, and then you can get them on that, on that remorseful day after, you know, tote that bale, you know, mop that floor and cry a lot. And I, uh, I got so that I didn't do uh, anything but drink coffee, smoke cigarettes, and pace the floor looking out the window. There were two other things I did. I was a clothes washer, and I did wash the dishes. I never put a dish away, and I never folded a clothes. The clothes were all over the living room. If anybody came in, oh, my God. But they were clean. Sometimes they got dirty just sitting on the couch, and then you had to put them in the wash again. But And the dishes were always all over the sink, and when Norm came home drunk, he always walked in and took one hand and went right across the sink and broke them all. And I used to think, why does he do that? Never dawned on me if I put him away, he couldn't do that. But I always wondered, why did he do that? And then I would scream and rant and rave. And he would scream and rant and rave. And those poor little kids just sat there listening to this mess. This mess. And you know, it's so true. Because I can look back and say the same thing about my mother and father. I wondered what was wrong with my mother. I knew what was wrong with my dad. But it was my mother I resented. And it was the same in my family. What's wrong with mother? You know, she's nuts. We know dad's drunk, but she's nuts. And when he was out there and I'd get so frustrated and so upset, I used to take those little kids and shake them till their eyes water. Because I was so upset. And... Uh, Finally, uh, I can remember one time Norm came in, and um, I knew he had a bottle somewhere. I always knew. And he was trying to hide it from me, and he wore boots, and he had the bottle in his boot. And there we sat facing each other in the living room. <laughs> He's trying to figure out how to get it out of his boot up to his mouth, and I'm trying to figure out where it's at. You know, this is... <laughs> this, that's a good example of the kind of a life we led. It was really, you know, very productive and very uh, forward and, uh, you know, really good. I was consumed with the alcoholic and Norm was consumed with alcohol. And our children were just there. And uh, finally, his uh, parents, his mother was killed in a car wreck and his uh, father died a year later. And as I say, the alcoholic suffers more than anybody else. And he used to pull this on me all the time about how sad he was. And I became very bitter. I was with my dad on that kind of thing, and I was with him. They're not really sorry for it. It's just another excuse, you know. So anyway, they did. We inherited a little bit of money, and I got a hold of it right away and put it in the bank. But for every cent that he was making, I had to pull out of the bank in order for us to live on so I conned him into moving into the, to building a house, and I don't know to this day how I did it. And he doesn't know how I did it either. It's just one of those things that happened, and you don't know why things happened. But we built his house, and we moved in it, into it, and by this time we had drunk up the neighborhood with my screaming and his carryings on. Everybody well, pretty well knew what we were like. And we weren't very nice people to be around. I was a pretty bitter person, very bitter. So we moved into this new neighborhood, and nobody knew us. And we were to go out with these people next door. 
We were to go out on a weekend, I mean on a Saturday night, and I'm standing out in the backyard, and in comes Norm, reeling through, reeling up the driveway and into the house, and past Betty and I standing out there. And I let everything go then. I never told anybody about my plight. I was not one who told anybody about what was happening to me. Uh, my mother knew some of it, and then when it would get real bad, I would tell her, I'd say, I'm coming in, I can't, you know, Norm's real bad, i got to get out. And so I would go into Pasadena, and she'd say, I thought everything was okay, and I said, no, it hasn't been, but, you know. Anyway, so that was about the only way it went. And then I had not told the neighbors, nobody knew about it, uh, and but there he was, and I said, well, that's my problem. I had ceased thinking Norm was an alcoholic. He was just a drunk that nothing would help him, uh, you know. So she said that she had seen a, a story, a pic, movie called Come Back, Little Sheba, and in it it had something about Alcoholics Anonymous and that I should call it. And I said, nothing's going to help him. And so she encouraged me to call. She was a do-gooder. And I called, and I will be forever grateful that I made that phone call. Because that man told me what I was supposed to know. It was the same man that eventually Norm talked to, but he was a wonderful man. And uh, he listened to me, and uh, I told him how terrible this man I married to, and would they come out and save him. And he said, no, we don't come unless they call and ask for help. That's the way it works. And I said, but he's just terrible. He's running around here chasing me with knives and with guns and I don't know what to do. And he said, that's nothing. There's a guy up in Bradbury chasing his wife around with a hatchet. <laughs> no matter what I said, you know, he topped it. And he didn't seem to be too alarmed about this whole thing. And I said, well, should I tell Norm about alcohol, about this? And he said, sure, you can tell him, but you're not going to do anything about it. I'm going to tell you two things. And these were the two things that I learned that was the biggest help in my life. He told me, number one, that I could never... Get Norm sober. Isn't that great? I can't remember number two. I've always said this 15,000 times. I would never get him sober, and oh, I did not get him drunk. And that was a big help to me because um, I thought I did get him drunk. He told me I did. You know, it's because of you. You're such a drag. You drag me down. Oh, God, I do. I know I do. I'm so bad. I would go through this, you know, I'm either so good or I'm so bad, and I would torment myself, and I was a very negative person, and I was a very down person. I was a, I used to be an extremely high and low person. I had no level at all. And I would come to, go to parties, for instance, and I would be, ah, and then I would think, oh, God, they all hated me, and I would be very depressed for about three days. And that's the way I lived. So when I was with Norm, I did the same thing, you know, through his drinking. So I told Norm about this, uh, what he told me. I said, well, I, when he got up and got sober, <clears throat> the first thing I did was I said, um, well, I know where you can get some help. And he said, where? And I said, Alcoholics Anonymous. And he looked at me, and you know what he said. I am no damn drunk. And I said, well... That's your only salvation, and I left it at that. <clears throat> and then the next bout that he went on, and they find, somebody finally brought him home, I have, uh, was, was when I had finally had my all. He came in, and I wish I could make amends to this man, because he was a tremendous uh, 
I, he didn't do anything wrong. I was just, you know, another one of these amends. But I didn't understand. But somebody brought Norm home, and I don't know who did. He drove Norm's car home, and somebody drove up uh, behind, and they left together. But before this man left, they poured Norm out of the car, and Norm came staggering in. I had just put a roast on the stove. And I went to this man, and I was standing in my usual garb about that time, uh, no hair combed, Levi, dirty Levi's, and an old baggy shirt of Norm's, filthy. I looked real cute, and I just stood there, and I called that guy every name in the book. I sounded like an, a real shrew. I sounded like worse than a real shrew. I, I mean, I couldn't even believe the, the words that were coming out of my, my mouth. And I wish I could say I'm sorry to this man because certainly it was not his fault that Norm was drinking or was drunk and in the state he was in. But Norm came in and uh, the kids and I did the usual thing at that time. This is the way, the game that we usually, we had finally come to. We would go outside and peek in the windows until he passed out. <laughs> then Norm was never one of these that when he passed out, he was out for good. You never knew. He might suddenly arise, you know. <laughs> so we would quickly get everything together, get it all in the car, and take off for moms. And this is what we were going to do. The, little, the big ones took care of the little ones, got them in the car. And I went in, and by this time, Norm had sat down at the kitchen table and had taken the roast. It was raw and was, had cut it up, and it passed out sitting there at the table. So I picked the roast up very neatly and put it away. And then I picked up the knife. And in all seriousness, I had an honest desire as I passed him to um, just end it. It would be real simple. I'll tell you, if anybody of you have a pack practicing and you ever get put up for, for doing away with them, I'll get on your jury. But... Um, <laughs> And I couldn't believe what was happening to me. I, I really couldn't believe it. And I walked over and I put that knife away and I thought, my God. And I got in the car and I started going in home to my parents' home. And all of a sudden it was had, as a big weight had lifted off my shoulders because I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had gone as far as I could go. I had these children to raise. I had them to take care of, and Norm had become too expensive for me. He was a grown man, and he was going to have to go his own road. And it was just like a big weight had lifted off my shoulders, and I told him that when he sobered up. And, of course, how many times we leave, leave them. You know, I had left him so many times in anger, but I had remember, I had stopped doing that sometime before because I knew that I always loved him when he was sober. You know, people say, well, why do you stay? Well, you know, we love each other. I love Norm. I have always loved Norm. But this other guy was coming in between us. And that's why we stay, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I knew that when I finally left him, I was going to have to leave him loving him. And that's what I did. And he knew it, and I knew it. 
And it wasn't too long after that, thank God, that he found the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and we all got back together. And then you think, gee, that's neat. You know, everything is all together again, but it's not. That isn't the way it happens. Norm went to AA and I went with him and I loved it. I loved being with the people and I loved the program, and uh, but I still didn't belong. I remember they had at one of the meetings on the wall a great big prayer of the serenity prayer. And everybody always said, that's the most, that's the greatest prayer there is. That is just wonderful. And I always knew I was dumb, and this made me sure I was dumb, because I didn't understand that prayer. I never understood that prayer. It didn't make any sense to me. And it wasn't until I came to Al-Anon that I finally found out what I didn't know about that prayer. It says in there, accept the things you cannot change. What can't I change? I have to change it. That's the way it is. And that was my stumbling block. I went to Al-Anon. It was just beginning out there in California about the time that I went to Al-Anon. Uh, it wasn't too strong. It was, but, and I used that for an excuse for a long time, but I really can't tell you what the meeting was like. I only went to one. It's like an alcoholic going to one meeting and says he doesn't like AA. I went to one Al-Anon meeting, and I said, oh, came home. I said to Norma, oh, it's like a bunch of bridge party. I, you know me. I don't like women. And I didn't go back. And I went to AA, and uh, the AA gals were real great to me. They were just darling to me. They even told me to go out and get drunk and come in, and I, but I was smart enough to know that if I ever got the disease of alcoholism, I would never make the program. And I didn't want to hurt that bad, and I'm scared to death of alcohol. And I'm scared to death of the alcoholic disease. So I stumbled along with Norm in the program, going with him and being very miserable. Norman got to be... Uh, quite popular. He had a way of talking that uh, people uh, listened. And so he got, he found his niche in the program. God showed him the way. And I, of course, the more popular he got, the worse I became. For one thing, I didn't want anybody to know what I was really like. I didn't want anybody to get very close to me because I didn't like Betty. And I knew you wouldn't like me. And I would go to meetings and be very, ah, and go home and hate myself. And we did this for a long time, and nobody knew me, and I became very much more bitter. The more popular he became, the more bitter I became in the highs and lows that we went through. When he was drinking, in one of his drinking rages, he said, give me back your rings, you know, and you gave him his ring, your rings are lost, your finger. And in one of these times, he lost my rings. And I resented that. Did I have a resentment? You wouldn't believe the resentment I had on him. And I used to say, look, I'm pregnant and I have no rings. You know, this looks terrible. In my day, that looked bad. Today, it's not bad. In my day, it was bad. And so, (laughs) he bought me this ring and I hated it. Hated it. After he got sober, the kids ground it up in the garbage disposal. I was delighted. And one day I was uh, going through his coat. I still had a sickness after he came to the program. I searched for things. I don't know what I was looking for. And I found something. You know, if you want to look for if you want something bad enough, you'll find it. <laughs> I found a great big diamond ring. 
All diamonds, big A. His lordship had bought himself a ring. <laughs> I was all alone at home. And did I get mad? I rolled on the floor and I cried. Oh, I was charming. And when he came home, I did I tell him. You know, <clears throat> that's the beautiful part of Al-Anon. Because, you know, if I had... You know, I don't expect anything anymore. If I want something, I go get it. If somebody wants to buy me something, that's just a bonus, right? Well, he didn't get me my ring, and I let him know about it. So he finally did. One day he came home with this ring. It had uh, it was a wedding band with about five diamonds across it, and I said I didn't like it. Thought I was such a neat guy. And uh, I don't know how he stayed with me all these years. <laughs> I really don't. Anyway, um... After we got to Al- I got to Al-Anon, and that's another story, I, um, I had growth on the program of Alcoholics of Al-Anon. Um, we were to, uh, going on a vacation, and the day we left happened to be our anniversary, and we were sitting out in our trailer over at the, one night. And Norm said, my God, this is our anniversary night, and I haven't got anything for you. I said, don't worry about it. I said, I took those two rings, and we give me another one, a pearl one. I took those two rings down to the jewelers, and I had them made into one ring just for myself, for, you, for my anniversary. How about that? And he said, that's fine. I did that for myself. Isn't that neat? And that's a ring. Isn't that pretty? <laughs> that's true. I didn't expect him to get me anything, and, and, and he doesn't have to anymore. You know, he used to hate Valentine's Day and my birthday and Christmas because I always made such an issue about things. <clears throat> Never did anything for ourselves. I'll never forget an Al-Anon meeting. You know, uh, we go around in skivvies that don't have any elastic in them. You know, they kind of scoop around like this, you know. And one day at the the meeting, (laughs) we all decided the next day we were going to meet in the lingerie department and get us all new underwear. We do without. uh, Martyrism, it's called. Anyway... um, we went to Rio Doza Downs. Norm was to, were, we were supposed to go to Rio Doza Downs because Norm was to speak at a convention there in March of 1968. And my mother had a heart attack, and I had to put her in the hospital because I took care of everything, managed everybody. And I put my mother in the hospital, and um, my father did what all <clears throat> drunks do when the mice is away, mouse is away, uh, the cat's away, okay. I called up to see how he was doing, and I got this silly, laughing man. The man is 84 years old, and he's drunk. And I am mad. Boy, am I mad. I am so angry. I got that stomach trouble again. It's just churning. And I don't know why, and Norm doesn't know why. He came in the back door. It was on a working day. And he walked in the back door and saw this idiot screaming at her father on the phone. And he took the phone away from me, calmed my father down, calmed me down, and went back to work. At 2.30 in the afternoon, I went to the hospital to see my mother. And while I'm sitting there uh, from the emergency, they call up to the room and inform me that my father has cut his eye open. They just stitched it up, and he can be taken home. (laughs) I'm mad again. And I'm screaming as I go out to get the car. And who's in the parking lot but my ever-loving? Thank God. I don't know why he's there. 
And so he went and took, picked up my dad and put <clears throat> these two screaming people in the car. And we drive dad home. And I call my brother in Salinas. And I say, Mom's coming home from the hospital. And she can't come home to dad. He's drunk. And I have to go to Rio Dozabat down. So you're going to have to take him up there with you, <clears throat> which is in Northern California. So he goes... Um, he goes off. Dad is mad, <clears throat> very mad at his daughter for uh, doing this to him. Now, I, uh, I've had been around the program 14 years. I have great love and compassion for the alcoholic. I have great understanding. I send my father up to be with his son, and I treat him like a two-year-old child. And Norm and I go off to Rio Doza Downs, and we are greeted by these lovely Alanons who say to me, What meetings do you go to? And I say, I don't go to Alanon. I go to AA. <clears throat> I don't need that program. And one lady, I'll never forget, she says, uh, <clears throat> well, I hope you don't find out on the way I did. And I thought, what's her problem? And then she spoke later on at that meeting uh, convention, and she said something about uh, waking up in the night, and her husband had, a heart, had had a heart attack laying in bed beside her, and that's how she found the program. You know, she realized she couldn't cope. She couldn't cope. And I thought, who can't cope? <laughs> well, <clears throat> that was in March. On uh, the end of May, my father called me, and I was in tears. I think Norm was off playing golf somewhere, and I was feeling sorry for myself. I'm sure that's what it was. And um, I was crying, and he can't stand it. He had not spoken to me since he'd come back from Selena's. And he can't stand to hear his daughter cry because he loved me very much. He was a good old Irishman. And we became friends again. And we'd gotten together and kissed and hugged as we always did. And I, I was very glad because on June the 10th of that year, he passed away. And it could have been a real hard thing for me to bear for a long time, but it wasn't. I had, we had gotten back together again and everything was okay. But Betty had started on a downhill pull. And I don't know what happened to me, but by September, I was a wreck. And I was back worse than I was when we came to AA. I was hiding in a closet. I was crying all the time, and I did not know what was wrong with me. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor gave me tranquilizers. That's real neat, you know. You're hanging on like this to the world, and then they give you tranquilizers. <laughs> you can't cope at all. And I used to go with Norm to meetings and practically sit on his lap because I was so afraid. I was so frightened, and I didn't know what was happening to me. Nobody knew what was happening to me. I was a nut. And one of the meetings we went to, I met a dear friend of mine who for years had tried to get me to go to Al-Anon. Everybody else had given up to, on me. They all said, don't talk to Betty about Al-Anon. She hates it. I always, my cute answer was always, well, if I would married to one of your guys, I would have to go to Al-Anon too. Made a big hit. <laughs> and she was crippled in a wheelchair, and she had been an absolutely beautiful woman. And she had gotten arthritis, and she had become crippled. And she still was a beautiful woman, only more so. And she had gone to Al-Anon before she became crippled. And, and anyway, I saw her at a meeting, and I said, 
Betty, she came up to me and she said, Betty, what's the matter? And I said, Norma, I don't know what's the matter. And she said, well, come on, let's go to a Nalanon meeting. At this particular time, I would have done anything. That's the only way I ever did anything, was when I was pushed into it. And so I started going to Al-Anon meetings, and I sat there and I thought, shoot, this is just like an AA meeting, what's the difference? But I had something going for me because I had been in um, AA long enough to have heard, you know, stick around. You know, don't, don't try one or two meetings, keep coming back, maybe you'll finally, you know, find an answer. And it did. It finally started working. And I remember thinking, they don't like me. That old thing had come back into me. And I would leave the meeting and, and it was that, that, you know, way that we have of positive thinking. And I would leave the meeting and I would say, they love me. I know they do. They love me. They love me. All the way home I would drive. They love me. And finally I got to the point where I found out that I loved myself. I finally got to that place. It took me a long time. Gee, it took me a long time. But I finally got that way. And I was, Norm always said I was the kind of person that when they, uh, when they get in a huddle in a football game, I think they're talking about me. <laughs> That's awful. Anyway, so life started getting better. Uh, Norm and I started getting better. I said, gee, Norm, you stayed with me through all of that. And he said, well, look what you went through for me. You know, he's a real neat guy. He really is. And and so we worked together, and he, and he fought with me. God, he used to walk in the in the house when I started getting better, and I knew I was getting better, and I wasn't hiding in the bedroom anymore, and I was in the kitchen cooking. And he'd come in, and I could see him. You know, he'd open the back door, and he'd say, "Hi, how are you?" You know, like, "What am I going to find today?" <laughs> and I got over it, and I got out of it, and I quit those tranquilizers. Thank God. You know, that doesn't do a thing for you. You know, I remember a little nun at a retreat one time said, that the country is, we are getting to a position where we're saying, don't bend your will, take a pill. <laughs> and I think that's where we've reached, you know. I don't take anything, thank God. And uh, I don't need anything um, but my higher power and you people. And then it came to a point where my mother moved in with us. And that was a traumatic experience. And thank God for Al-Anon I was able to live through that. Because uh, I had a lot of pent-up feelings about her that I didn't know how to handle. And when two women live in the same home, that's not easy. But it was great. It was great in a lot of ways. We had a, I quit beating myself. That was what I did. If I hadn't said this, if I didn't say that, if I didn't think this, but I'm a human being and I'm going to do the best I can today. And that's all I've got. That's all I've got. And I'm going to be wrong. But I have the right to be wrong. Thank God. I found that out now. I have the right to be wrong. And uh, and God loves me. And if God loves me, gosh, I better love myself. I remember the first time my mother came or had lived with us and she said, I didn't know you were so moody. And I said, Mom, if you're gonna, we're gonna live together, I said, you're gonna have to accept me the way I am. I learned later I had to accept her the way she was too. But I said that to her and she said, well I should know that. You know, your father was just like you. (laughs) And I lived with him. (laughs) And that's okay too. So she lived with us and my younger children got a benefit 
that I can't tell you from having my mother live with us. And Norm said, he's, as I say, he's a real neat guy. He wouldn't have done anything else. He said, we've got the room. Grandma's going to live with us. And Grandma gave us a lot. She really did. And then one time it, it came to the time where I had a real hard time with my God. And I think it was lack of self-worth that I had such a hard time accepting God and turning this over. I told you I had such a hard time with that, accept the things you cannot change, and I finally did. And it was through this situation that I'm going to tell you about that I found my God. And that's that my mother uh, was very, very sick the last six months, and it was touch and go. You know, I, she would get well, and then she would get sick, and she would get well, and then she would get sick. And, and, and she'd come out of it beautifully. She was in her late 80s. She was 87. So this last week, Norm and I were to go to Minnesota, and at this, I had, was going to participate, and Norm was going to participate. And so uh, I had taken her to the doctors, and I had taken her to the hospital, and they said she was okay. And I didn't know what to do, but she wasn't okay. And it was Thursday night, and we were to leave bright and early Sunday, Friday morning. And I thought, I cannot go. There is no possible way I can go. And... Uh, it was about midnight, and I went to bed, and I woke up about 4 in the morning, and I had this splitting migraine headache. And when I get those, I, it's usually that I'm in for good, you know. It's a day of prone on the bed. And I prayed. God knows I prayed, and I had been praying. And all of a sudden, I had an answer. Something said to me. They said, If you stay, you'll be running the show. And if you go, I'll be running the show. And all of a sudden, I lost my headache. And I went to sleep. And I got up an hour later. And we got ready. And I went to Minnesota. And I did my thing. On Saturday afternoon, and Norm did his, was to do his on Sunday, which is unusual, Sunday night. My brother, our oldest son was in Minnesota at the time, and we were all together, and we were in the hotel room, and the phone rang, and my son-in-law informed me that my mother had passed away. But I knew it was okay. My children were with her. And I was with my son and my husband. And Norm said, well, we'll just go back. And I said, Norm, you have to stay. And we've always said that whatever happens, AA comes first above everything else. And you're here for a reason. I'll go back. And he said, are you sure you're okay? And I said, I'm okay. And I went home. I met my kids. They picked me up at the airport. And it was really funny because my kids went through quite a traumatic experience. She died at home. She died sitting in her chair. She just said goodnight to the grandkids, or great-grandkids. And, uh, but my two daughters, the oldest one, and the, I mean the youngest one and the middle one, had fixed her hair that morning. And they said they'd never seen Grandma look so pretty. And then when she died, it was a very grotesque feeling. And by the middle of the week, that grotesque person that they had seen, body, had vanished, and that beautiful picture of her that morning had taken place. And so I allowed them to experience that. 
instead of begrudging myself. And so I learned to find my God through that experience, and I still have trouble with that. When my kids are out too late, sometimes I, God tells me to go to bed, and I say, no, I'll wait just a little longer. And then I have a middle child that's been my <laughs> test of tolerance. I never knew why. She and I battled all the time. Norm and she never battled, but she and I just battled something royal. We never got along, and I could never understand why. And then um, one night, uh, one uh, just this a year ago, a little over a year ago, she got married and uh, informed us a little later that she was going to be a mother, <clears throat> and she was up at the house. And she said to me, Mom, you don't like me like you like the other kids. I just about died. And I looked at her and I said my usual Pat Alanon answer, Well, that if you think that, that's your problem. Not mine. And I walked into the other room and I said, Don't I like that child? Don't I really like that child? And a lot of things started happening to me because I really had to face myself and what I, there was something about that child I didn't like. I know today what it is. What it was. It was because she acted exactly like me at times and that's what I didn't like. She would get this hard exterior where she would put this thing in front of her so she, nobody would see what she really was like. And she'd get that way. And I would get so mad because I knew, you know, it was a thing that I did. But it was that, that child was so much like me. She looks like me. And we did the same things. And that's what was bugging me. And I started picturing that child, that woman, which she is now, like this little 12-year-old I remember so well that I love so much till she started into those awful teen years. And I started thinking of her just that way and just saying, I love you, I love you. And all of a sudden, all of these things left. And it was because learning to love me again that I had gone through so much problems with. And I don't know if anybody understands that. But that's what I found in this relationship with my daughter. And it's so super because we do. We have no problem. She has hang-ups with me, too. You know? She gets jealous and things like this. And, and we can talk about it now and we get it out. And the best thing she ever did to me was say, Mother, you don't like me. And all of these things have happened to me in Al-Anon that I am so grateful for because every day I grow. Every day I see... I even... You know, lately I think I have been bent on something that I must apologize to Norm today for. I think I have been judging his actions and not my own. I don't know how it's happened. We're working together. This is the worst thing that ever happened to two people. <laughs> and he's a super guy. He really is. He's, I love him more than anything else in the world, and it's grown more and more through all of that we've gone through. And we've shared so many things together. And I think it, uh, I get mad at him because he gets short-tempered with me at the office. And he has a right to. I'm his employee. Because he does know the business and I don't. 
And I, I've been really doing some soul searching this weekend because I've been looking at myself and saying, you know, you've really been kind of really finding all the things that Norm does wrong. And you've been really mulling these over and you've been talking a lot about them. I really shouldn't say it. You know, he's here. And I'll, ooh, I really made a mistake. But that's okay, too. I, that's the way it's been for us. We've grown through our children. We've grown through the program. We've learned to love each other, I think, a lot more. And we are kind of loners, and our family are loners, and we're kind of, and our whole family is Alcoholics Anonymous and our own little family. But Norm and I share a lot of things together. He calls me his buddy, and I think that's the greatest thing, compliment I could ever have. And I'd like to close now with a little story that I heard from an AA program one time, and it, to me it's the greatest, uh, it's, it's really an Al-Anon story, and that's about uh, Pat and Mike and Mary. And Mary was a lovely woman who was married to Mike. And Mike and Pat used to drink a lot together, and on Friday and Saturday night they used to hit the local bar quite frequently, local pub. And Mary stayed home and took care of the eight children at home. And one night on Friday night, Mike didn't make it through the night. Mike succumbed. And so they laid him out in the parlor, and Mary got in her rocking chair sitting right next to Mike, laid out in the coffin. And they all came through to review the remains. And here comes Mike, I mean Pat. Pat comes in to see his dear, dear friend. And he stops to Mary and he grabs her hand and he says, God love you, Mary. You've been a wonderful wife to this man. You've given him all those good children and he was such a fine man. And he goes over to, you know, the typical, you know, the tear bit and the whole thing, third act. And he goes over to the, to the coffin and he, God, he sees his buddy, his big friend, and he gets so shook of the whole thing that he just leans over and grabs his hand. And he's got Mike's hand, and he says, all of a sudden, he looks at Mary, and he says, Mary, Mary just sitting there rocking, steel eyes, looking straight ahead. Mary, Mary, he says, and Mary just sits there rocking, doesn't pay a bit of attention, blue eyes there sitting there looking straight ahead. Finally, he goes over to her, and he says, Mary, Mary, do you hear me? Mike's not cold, he's still warm. Mary just sat there rocking, and she says, hot or cold, he goes out today. Thank you very much, Betty. I have another announcement. There are still buffet and breakfast tickets available. And it doesn't say by what time you have to get these, but you can still get them if you'd like. That concludes this portion of the program, and if you'll all stand and repeat the serenity prayer with me. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.